Kia ora and welcome to Cancer Conversations with me, Helen King, journalist and cancer survivor, brought to you by Look Good, Feel Better and Dry July. Hello and welcome back to Cancer Conversations, the podcast you never thought you'd need for the diagnosis you never want to hear. If you love today's episode, make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today, I'm joined by a guest who spent his career navigating high-stress situations. As the former Chief of the New Zealand Defence Force, Lieutenant General Rhys Jones trained to keep cool under pressure. After retiring from the armed services, he was the Chief Executive of Fire and Emergency New Zealand until 2022. A shock cancer diagnosis led Rhys to make major changes. He's now a strong advocate for taking responsibility for your health, showing vulnerability, and encourages men to talk about their emotions. Welcome to the podcast, Rhys. Good on, Thank you for the invitation. Oh, it's wonderful to be able to sit down and hear more about your story. Thank you. I, I do consider myself to be one of the lucky ones, though. Caught early, had really good support all the way through, but learned a lot of lessons. As the theme of the story I'll go through, there are huge impacts on the person individually and their family and, the, and their work environment that, yeah, that I learned as I went through. So let's go back a little bit and set the scene for our listeners. Where were you in life and what was going on when you received your diagnosis? Well, my background is I'd spent 35 years in the military, rising up through the ranks to eventually be the chief of the Defence Force in charge of Army, Navy and Air Force and everything. And so, yeah, pretty active life, but one in leadership roles where I kind of had to be the calm, non-panicky person that, you know, gave direction, was in control of things. And following the military, I then became the chief executive of Fire and Emergency New Zealand, leading a new organisation, merging the rural and the urban. And again, an organisation where people operated in danger and you know the leadership needed to be calm and show that leadership. And so it was a, an arrangement where I'd always taken my you know, health and fitness for granted. <clears throat> I had a lot of support in, through both organisations for that. But because I kind of took it for granted, I was never really proactive about looking after my own health. It was kind of part of the system that went through. So when I got my diagnosis, it was, I suppose, ironically, in a really good time for it to be public because the fire and emergency, cancers for firefighters is quite common. And the environment that they're in, working carcinogenic materials, means that cancer is pretty front of mind. I know for Kiwi males especially, taking care of your health um, can be challenging or something that, you know, isn't always front of mind. And, you know, you've worked in very male-dominated industries, so you must have seen this throughout your career. What do you see as some of those barriers for, for men to go to the GP if they're having symptoms or check something out? Yeah, and I think as a generalisation, most men are less caring or less insightful into their own health and but in the environment that I was in which was kind of the emergency response services the military and then fire and emergency there is that I suppose impression that you have to be tough that you have to you know get through things and physical barriers aren't really a problem but also that the reluctance to to put your hand up and say, hey, I've got a problem, be it a physical injury, really got a painful knee or things like that, or a mental, psychological PTSD, 
uh, in both fire and, and the military becomes an issue in the air. And so there is that feeling, that impetus that, well, hide things, ignore it, just keep on pushing through rather than, hey, let's stop and deal with that. That actually became quite a big lesson for me. I know that you did make quite a, I guess, a concerted decision to, to be really open and honest about what was going on when you were diagnosed with bowel cancer. What made you make that decision from the start to be really open about what was happening? A lot of people and organisations expect the organisation to take responsibility for things or the health board or the doctor to actually come forward. Whereas you know, the way in which life goes is that you know, you've got to be suspicious of things and it's better to catch things early. So in phone emergency, we were going through a huge debate around the cancers and do we you know, pressure the government to provide more support for uh, those identified with cancer, a thing called presumptive legislation where it's automatic yeah, if you're a firefighter. These are the cancers that you're susceptible to. You automatically get those things. That, that was an issue at the time. But for me, I'd rather put my effort into, rather than dealing with cancer when you've got it, more effort into, but how do you identify cancer early? So I really was always talking about screening processes, taking care of your health, being aware of the symptoms going through there. And so this was perfect alignment of stars if there is an upside to cancer for me to be able to show the organisation, hey, I'm lucky. This was picked up by screening, not by me being proactive, unfortunately, but by <laughs> this was the bowel cancer screening that became free, available when you turned 60. And my story there is the, the pack arrived for me. I kind of was saying, oh, yeah, put it to one side and did nothing for a couple of months. My wife's 60th birthday was... 58 days later, she reminds me of how much time <laughs> there is between that. And she did hers, and it came back negative. And she then kept on pushing me to say, you need to do yours, you need to do yours. So eventually I did. But it was really a lesson for me to say, yeah, I mean, that there was an opportunity there for me to take care of myself. Luckily, it did identify, and luckily it was, was early enough to catch, not early enough to avoid quite a major surgery but early enough to stop it being terminal and so that was a lesson that I wanted to pass on to the organisation. This happened over Christmas time or just before Christmas I could have just said but I'm taking a month off over Christmas but I decided to say now this is a good point for our people to realise that you know, I've found it early and it's because of screening that I'm going to be lucky not because of anything else around in here so I really passed that message off and I became open and about it and said, I've got cancer, I've got bowel cancer. It was picked up by screening and it really emphasises what I've been saying and what the organisation has been pushing. Take care of yourself, be conscious of your health issues, take advantage of everything that's being offered by the organisation and by the health departments that'll help you through that. I, and I found people in the organisation responded really well. I got a lot of messages of support which said, hey, well done, thank you for being so open about it. It's created a conversation amongst us of how to do that. But also it, it showed me that a lot of people and my friends and the people in front of NC had cancer experiences. So it did drive home that it's far more common. But just by talking about it and having that conversation raised, one of the other things that it did is that it created the, the conversation amongst my friends as well. And I know that a lot of my friends then said, oh, 
I better go and get checked about that as well. So yeah, if there is a message for anyone out there, it's talk about it because it then encourages other people to think about it more and to do something about it. Often that's the prompt for people to do about it rather than just sailing through thinking that everything's going to be fine. Absolutely. I think that's a really good point because I've had a similar experience where being by being honest, other people have been proactive about mammograms or getting unusual lumps looked at rather than sort of burying their head in the sand, which is easy to do because cancer is such a scary word. But when it's cancer, it's actually, you know, time is of the essence. Tell me a bit about that moment when the, you get the call that actually, yeah, there's something suspicious here. We need to investigate it. I'm in a fortunate position. Cancer has been in my wife's family. I had a brother who died of cancer of the esophagus. My mother-in-law had breast cancer. And so my wife was very conscious of cancer, which is why she did the test pretty early on, and she kept harping on to me about, you need to get it done as well. But as you say, when I put it in, I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's going to come back negative. My, My life was negative, so I will be too. But it did come back positive. And it was kind of a, ah, okay, what's this about? But then almost trying to be optimistic. It's really just a broad screen. There are many reasons why it might come back positive. And when I talked to my doctor, they did say, this isn't a definite yes. It is, there are symptoms there that need to be investigated to identify whether there is cancer. So I kept on saying, it'll be all right. This is another aspect of, I suppose, being in a background and a profession, my own personality of being in organisations where you had to be tough and be the calm person. I was trying to tell my family and my children, oh, it's okay, yeah. Yeah, these are tests, it's fine, I'll be all right, it's not that bad. So I almost believed my own story and kept on saying, no, it's not going to be there. But those further tests did identify, yes, you have a cancerous polyp in there that needs to be removed, so there needs to be an operation. And again, I tried to put a positive light on that. Oh, it's okay, these you know, colonoscopies are fine, I'll do that. The colonoscopy occurred, and then they came back and said, we can't guarantee that we've got all of it. We're going to have to do more major surgery on that to actually take out a fair bit of, of your bowel and the lymph nodes around that, and it'll be quite a major operation. Again, I tried to my family to say, and it'll be fine, I'll be okay, it'll, it, it's not that serious. And so there was a, you know, a large part of that disbelief or pretend that went on. Even though underneath that, you know, I did have to face the reality of, well, you know, what if it is terminal? What if it is serious? And what if I have to you know, go through all the horrors, the difficulties of chemotherapy or radiation therapy, all those kind of things? So that was certainly inside of me. Um, I will admit, coming from um, a profession where you know, death was always a reality in there, I did. I was reasonably calm about that. But it was there were thoughts, there was angst around that and that was something I had to think about and face but I said I on the outside I was trying to calm my family down and be the the solid person in that particular role but in that in itself led me to certain lessons about how you should interact with your family and others as well. A lot of people that I've met and talked to have a similar experience where you often end up being the ones that are calming people down where you might be sort of breaking out in the inside and trying to keep things calm on the outside. Did you 
allow yourself moments of just panic or to ha- let those emotions out? No, I, uh, I suppose because my own training and the fact that in the military you have to accept that there's danger there and you're always going to be looking Yeah. At I was really, uh, I suppose, um, never lost it. But a point at the moment that, and I'm glad you've raised that, when I was in hospital recovering from my major operation, I had complications. So I had to stay in longer in hospital, had to have further treatment in there. And having had the first operation, when I came out of that, I felt really good. You know, I was walking around pretty early and everyone was saying, wow, you've recovered really well. But then I kind of went downhill. And the doctor said, this is far more serious. I had to go and intravenous strip feeding for over Christmas period. Yeah. And having a Christmas dinner out of intravenous tube is not, <laughs> it's probably the most memorable Christmas dinner I've had, but yeah. not something I'd recommend. <laughs> no. um, that was a real thump for me. And probably what made me realise the seriousness of it, the senior nurses in a quiet moment, you know, very compassionately said, have you had your meltdown yet? She gave me permission to do that. And you know, it's that feeling that I don't have to be the tough one anymore made me realise, yeah, perhaps I shouldn't have been acting that way anyway. Oh, I resonate with that a lot. I feel like a lot of people will because I think um, we are taught to keep things positive. I'll just be positive, you know, it'll be okay. And I had meltdowns while no one else was around as well because it was almost like that thing of, I want to protect everyone else from the reality of what was going on. But I think you're right that if there's one thing I wish I'd learned or done earlier was just to let myself feel those things because I think it's okay to be positive, but it's also okay to be scared or pissed off or angry about your situations. Yeah, I also think that... um at least in British culture, the stiff yeah. upper lip type approach yes. is not <laughs> is not the best thing to do in here. And that's where I have respect for many of the Maori cultural aspects and that they do allow and tangies and other things emotion to come out. You know, that's yes. what the haki was about, getting that that emotional side of what you're about to do or the, the wailing of the tangy. So, yeah, I think there are lots of things that we can learn from many cultures, not only Maori, but many cultures that are about being open about fears and your emotions and that being accepted to and fro by the receiver as well as the person who's expressing those emotions, not to take things personally, but just say, this is what it's about. So, yeah, trying to conceal it and trying to bluff it, I fell into believing my own propaganda yeah. here. But then it just made that hitting the wall just a little bit more poignant. But yeah, by that stage, fortunately, I had kind of already gone through the, that deep thinking around, like, well, what are the consequences of that? How do I tidy up my life so if, so if things do progress down that way, you know, at least I'm at least I'm ready for that. I wanted to go back a couple of steps because I'm really intrigued because you, I mean, your military training, as you mentioned, you've been to war zones and as a military person, as you say, you've been trained to not react. Do you think though that some of that helped you? Yeah, the, I suppose the key is if you know what's going on, you understand mm. what's happening and therefore you can put things into context. You can rationalise, well, what possibly could occur in here. So for soldiers to go into combat zones, for firefighters to go into burning buildings, you know, they know what the environment is. They know where the risk level is. They can make conscious decisions about it. It's far more difficult on things like cancer that 
I don't know how it's going to work. But yeah. you know, that fear factor, the pucker factor, really comes into into play in here. So what I'd say is, find you know, do your research, find out about what's happening in here, and that will give you far more awareness about what is happening. You'll better understand what the doctors are telling you far more. So again, you can put things into context. So you know, what that military training taught me was understand the environment. You know, be a professional. You know know what a battlefield is like, know what weapon system effects are, know what happens when you go into this type of environment, practice, rehearse around it. That's why the military exercise so they can train people to be under fire and all those kind of things in here. So, yeah, if you can understand the environment, do so. So do your reading, do your research, talk to people, particularly talk to people who have had cancer themselves and get their experiences to go through. So you can then say, well, I'm at this stage of the journey, and if I need to go that next step, then this is what it's going to be like. Here are some hints to actually make that easier. You know, some advice about, oh, how do you talk to other people about it? How do you relate to your family? What you should do? And I think that's probably the, the best thing that you can do to try and re- reduce the panic and, and give you a better understanding of the journey you've got to go on. So you know, if you know what you're going to go through, it's much easier, even, if it, even though it's going to be unpleasant even though it's going to be painful, even though it's going to you know, make it feel really bad as you go through there. At least and you understand, yeah, that's only a phase and you'll come through that at the end. Absolutely. And I was thinking as you're talking, because you, know, you have children and you're married, and I mean, my mother had cancer about 15 years ago and thankfully it, you know, she's been in remission since. But I think there's something about your parent getting cancer where you know for mum it's like oh your mum is like the glue in the family and so it's hard to see mum but I imagine for your children like dad is dad he's the you know the protector I know I'm going into gross stereotypes here I'm thinking it it is challenging when your parent is sick how did you face your diagnosis as a family well First of all, I was trying to play things down, and I suppose it wasn't as honest. I did try and talk to my kids about, well, this is what I've got to go through, and particularly when I was going into hospital and and they had my complications and so on. Yeah, it is tough on them. My children really did take it quite badly, or not badly, but seriously, it really impacted them a lot, particularly my youngest son who... um, worked in the same organisation that I did, actually. So, yeah, he felt the impact of everyone asking him, how's your father, those kind of things in here. So lesson for me is that you, the person going through cancer, are not the only victim of this, and that your family and your friends are also impacted by that. And therefore, um, you need to be thinking around how you are going to interact them, being open and honest, and again, talking about what's happened in the environment you're now moving into, what's going to happen to you, the options, the odds. But that can also be reassuring to people because they know that the medical system and the New Zealand focus on cancer and the health system is a really high priority and the support is really good. So even just talking through that will often just give, again, people that awareness of, well, this is what's going to happen. It takes away the fear factor for many because there's a bit more certainty as well. So as well as knowing myself, getting my family to know what's going to happen is also useful, although I didn't learn that lesson until much later. If I can perhaps divert onto something that 
I learnt in the military and was reinforced in the fire, <clears throat> and that there is a thing called survivor guilt. When I was the Chief of Defence Force, I had nine soldiers killed in Afghanistan during my time. You know, the worst part of any role of the military person is when you have your people killed. So I had nine. And I spent a lot of time with the team that was around those people who were killed, going over to where the operational sites were, all of those were in Afghanistan, but also when they came back, engaging with families and so on. The one thing that really became quite dominant for me and the focus was those people on the team who who had not been killed had a thing called survivor guilt. They felt really guilty meeting the parents or the partners or the children of those who had died because they were feeling, well, how come I survived? But more importantly, they kept on saying, I felt there was more I could have done. And, and the same with, that was in the military when they came back, and the same with firefighters. The big factor of PTSD in firefighters is they can go into burning buildings and they can rescue people off cliffs and all those kind of things. What really gets them is if they're going to a medical event and they're trying to deal with someone who's, you know, the mother's dying, the kids are around, or the family's emotional, and they get that feeling that I felt I should have been able to do more. Going back to the cancer environment, your family are the victims of this as well. They've got to face the potential to lose a father or a son or a husband or a wife or a mother or a daughter. And so their biggest issue will be, well, what can I do? I felt that I should have been able to do something. So a big lesson for me was create space where your family and friends can actually feel that they can help you. Mm. And don't be the, I'm all right, I'm tough, I can deal with this by myself. Um, open up, accept the fact that you will need help, be it psychological help or physical help, and giving people some tasks to do or some role in your recovery becomes really important because it'll help them get through this as well and that they feel that, hey, I was able to do something. I, you know, I mowed dad's lawns or I, you know, I came and talked to them every day in hospital and brought them food and got little things for them and all those kind of things be it small or big give you know, your friends and your family in particular some way where they can be they can feel and actually do help them because it's helping them as well i really like that and there's two things that you said there that i think are wonderful i found that too give people a task <laughs> people want a task and it's yeah even from yeah, doing your washing, coming and doing the dishes. If people have children, offer to take the kids out for, um, you know, McDonald's or, you know, just something fun. Take them to mm -hmm. the playground so mum or dad can, you know, have some time out because it, you're right, it just, it really impacts everything. I had, I was living by myself at the time and I had two friends that regularly took me out for a coffee and it was just so nice because it was normal. You know, it was a normal thing that we could do. And I didn't necessarily want to talk about my cancer. I kind of wanted to know <laughs> what was going on in their lives. So I really liked that. But the other thing that I loved that you've mentioned is that the, you know, helping with the recovery, because that can be a really tricky time for people. And so I think that's a wonderful suggestion to you know, check in with your friend or a family member who's going through cancer once they're finished. You know, can you be their walking buddy? Can you help them for a little while, you know, with their making meals or, you know, checking in with them to see 
if they just want some company. So I think, yeah, those things become really important as well as part of the, yeah, the healing process. Yeah, and that's a time when you can really forge much closer friendships and real tightness of the family too over those times as well because it creates a common event that people have gone through and that's the whole theory behind you know team building and stuff is where's that common event yeah uh, and common success you know, getting you through that cancer helping you through their recovery yeah and that survivor's guilt is really challenging as you're talking i was thinking oh goodness yeah i've had it too and it's often when i meet other women who have had the same type of cancer as me and it where I sort of start, you know, going down that road as if they have kids. And I think, oh, you know, I don't have children. But I guess this is the thing, like cancer doesn't make sense. So it's the being able to sort of accept that sometimes these things happen and there may be no rhyme or reason (laughs) that you have survived and someone else hasn't and that your life is no less valuable. But I think the positive I've found is that Almost everyone is willing to help and almost everyone is sympathetic about what you're going through. So um, yeah, there's, there is that opportunity to put your relationships, your friendships in a different space because of this. Hindsight's a wonderful thing and there were some things that you look back and go, oh, I wish I'd done that earlier. What has helped you, whether it was emotional health, physical, mental, or if spiritual health is something that's part of your world, what are some of the things that really helped you, I guess, get through the diagnosis and treatment and then also in that post-treatment time? Yeah, first of all, I could say that I think everyone in the medical system who I dealt with was really good, really helpful, Mm. really understanding willing to talk, willing to give me time you know, to answer their questions. And I think you know, in New Zealand, we are lucky that you know, we have such great staff. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. you know, it's really under pressure yeah. with, with numbers and the pressure with COVID and so on. But you know, we are lucky with the quality of the staff that we have. But I was also fortunate that, <laughs> again, because my wife, family had gone through cancer as well that my wife who came along to most of my consultations prior to my operation she was the one who was asking the questions yeah uh, again you know, as a military person going to the doctor kind of tells you what's going to happen you go, I'm not your head and okay, I'm going to take those pills or I'm going to do this but she was actually probing and asking those questions but I said that gave me that knowledge that perhaps I would have just blindly gone along and done things. But it also, you know, stimulated me and we were able to talk about what was happening. So again, that raised it. So, yeah, I was really lucky that I had, that we have in New Zealand, that environment where people are willing to help you and give you that knowledge, give you that time to be able to go through. Um, I also think what I found, because I was open about it and talked about it, I got that resonance back of support from people and that understanding and that comfort that a lot of people have gone through that journey and a lot of people have made it through and so you know it, there's no need to be doomsdayish about this you know cancers are survivable there's a fair bit of journey to go through to get there but you know they're survivable so yeah again it kind of enabled me to tackle the worst fears or the worst aspects of a diagnosis of cancer and get through. Unfortunately, that's not the case with many people. But, you know, even just that discussion of with other people who are going through 
terminal cancer, all those people who have are family members or friends of people who have done that. Yeah, again, those conversations will help you get through. Oh, there was something you said there I thought was really interesting, and I think it is around the people you have around you, because some people don't have family support, and so I think it's important to have the best people around you. I read a fantastic book about neutral thinking, where it's not necessarily being really positive or negative, it's that, okay, this is the situation and how are we going to get through it? And one of the best pieces of advice in it was creating your team. And who do you need in your team? You don't need people who are going to use your cancer as a you know, way for them to sort of make it about them. You need the people who are going to turn up. And so I think that's a really good point of, you know, if you're a partner or you have a friend or a sibling who is the person who likes to ask lots of questions and can be your support person in mouthpiece when you go to see your oncologist or specialist, I think that's a great idea or... If you've got someone that is, yeah, just fantastic at being good company. So I think that's a really good point to make around, you know, who do you have around you and who do you want to surround yourself with during a really tough time? Yeah, and I think it goes back to the point of, you know, don't be silent and withdrawn about it because people will be willing to help and be part of a team to help you get through that. So, yeah, some people are alone, don't have families, but you're right. It's how can you reach out? It may not be you know, one person taking a whole lot of load. It may be you know, three or four people who can do little bits and pieces of that. But again, it goes back to saying it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to establish that support, establish the team that you're talking about around you to achieve that. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, don't be afraid to ask questions because the you know, the medical profession want to help you get through that. And they recognise that it's as much a psychological approach for well-being as it is the physical or technical aspects of dealing with the cancer. Cancer is a huge event in anyone's life. I've not met many people who it was a little blip but <laughs> then, you know, life went on. It can be, a, you know, a, a, like a bomb going off. How has it changed or has it changed life post-diagnosis? Um. Uh, yes, it has. Even though my cancer was two years ago, I'm, I'm physically still recovering from that major operation. And large parts of my system have been taken out of my body's still adjusting for how to achieve that. But I am one of the lucky ones that I, you know, I can do most things, or almost all things now that are normally, uh, or back to normal of how to achieve that. But I still have better days and worse days. And it's just, yeah, I just have to accept, okay, today's not going to be a good day. Just create that space, just accept how things will go, you know, how I'm feeling or how alert I'm going to be mentally on that particular day. <clears throat> but again, it's just making sure that the environment around you understands that as well. And so, again, talking to people to say, hey, I'm going to have to work from home a lot more than I did in the past. Again, lucky that the COVID experience kind of allowed <laughs> the organisation to accept yes. work from home is normal. And I had the system to be able to do that. But, you know, so, yeah, it, it has affected me. Fortunately, not kind of the longer term life. And again, that was the benefit I had of being able to catch it relatively early and have that dealt with. But it's now just the, you know, the physical recovery from the particular operation for me is just much longer around there. Another thing that I will say, it, as I mentioned, because I talked 
about it, became quite open with my organisation and my friends around that. That has kind of changed the dynamics that of people. Some people have who, you know, who now come up to me that and Lisa, hey, I, you know, I just want to say I appreciated how you did that because it made me think about that. And I've done my test and it didn't come back negative. And one friend who did say it came back positive. Um, but then when I went on to further investigation that it was nothing. But it, you know, he then went through that brief panic and do I tell the kids and whatever. And he told me he didn't tell the kids until afterwards and they went through the roof. You know, how can you tell us <laughs> that you were worried about that? Uh, so, yeah, it has... I suppose, change the role I have in friendships or it would change that dynamic around there as well. But, yeah, I think I'm lucky in that it has not really affected me in the long term that much. I can still look at normality in life. You've given so many insightful tips and points and things. And, you know, I, I think the the number one thing I get out of your story really is that it's okay to talk and it's okay to you know freak out and ask for help what are what would you if someone is facing a cancer diagnosis at the moment what are your top three tips for someone that is going through that now yeah well i think you've stolen two of them (coughs) (coughs) excuse me i think that the first two are yeah be open about it don't Talk about it because it might stimulate other people to look about their own health as well. But it also means that if you're if you're into the habit of talking about it, <clears throat> then you're more likely to be open and inquire and talk about the things that you're not aware of. You know, and say, well, even just talking to your doctor or the health staff or someone else that's gone through that. <clears throat> yeah. Secondly, it is make sure you create your team around you, that you do ask for help <clears throat> and don't try and be the a tough person actually gets through that because you know your emotional will go up and down though you might be good and, and you're ups when you're down it's really good to have people around you that are able to step in and recognize that that's the phase you're going through and help you through that and it will also help them to go through so my third point is yeah remember that you're not the only victim in this create space for others to to get through particularly your family they're the ones who also go through that time thinking around well what if you lose mum or dad or brother or sister or husband or wife or daughter or son and so just giving them that insight about it and underlying all of those is increase your knowledge about what you're going through to find out about that cancer either be careful what you search online. You'll see a lot of rubbish on there. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, read the brochures that are, that are given to you. Talk to your doctor uh, about that. Talk to people who've gone through those experiences as well. So just know what it's about. And that'll make it easier for you to be able to talk about it, you to be able to understand the phase that you're going through and where you, where you actually need help to go through. Well, Reese, it's been so good to talk and hear more about your story and oh, there's so many gems in there I think for you know that will be helpful to people who are either facing it or are coming out the other side and rebuilding so thank you so much for sharing your story well no thank you for giving the opportunity I mean it's if there is a bottom line is that cancer is more common than most people think and therefore the chances of you of someone 
having to face this as an experience is reasonably high in life and therefore you know be proactive take care of your own health seek seek investigations early about issues that you might have because catching it early is the best way to ensure that you're going to survive so you know thank you for allowing me to be part of that conversation and to share my lessons that i've been through thank you for joining me If you want to learn more about the amazing things Look Good, Feel Better offers, go to www.lgfb.co.nz. Coming up next week, I am joined by a physio who will talk about why exercise is important, not only during treatment, but also afterwards and how we can regain strength and confidence and do this without injuring ourselves. Make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast app because you don't want to miss this conversation. See you next time.